If you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Matthew. We'll be looking at Matthew chapter 13. This morning it'll be on the screen behind me. But a very special couple just caught my eye that I want to recognize. Johnny and Annette Johnson are here this morning. And believe it or not, they flew back. They've been in the Czech Republic. They're maybe the long, longest members, active members of our church, possibly. They've been at this church a long time. They went to the mission field to the Czech Republic for many years. And they just came back. And their first Sunday back, <laughs> they came back to a national a global pandemic. Uh, and so we have not been able to see them. They've, they've not been in a live service. Um, I wish I could hug your necks. Uh, we love you, and it's so good to see your face. We're really thankful that you're back with us. And so Johnny and Annette, uh, many of you know them, um, but we're thankful for you and all that you've done. So in Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 uh, through 46, this, we've started a few weeks ago our series through uh, the parables of Jesus. And I said, we saw this last week, we'll see it again. But Jesus sometimes will group parables together that make a similar point. We saw it last week with the parable of the leaven and the parable of the mustard seed. We see it again uh, this morning with these uh, parables of the treasure and the pearl. So this is God's word. Follow along with me as I read. The kingdom of God is like hidden treasure in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. It ends the reading of God's word. Um, I have defined parables. There's lots of ways, nuances that we could say, but to keep it simple... We've been saying that parables are earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. We saw it last week. These earthly stories of the mustard seed and the leaven. <clears throat> well, Jesus again is telling two earthly stories here in these parables of two men that find treasure <clears throat> in order to show, he tells these stories in order to show uh, the surpassing greatness and the value of the kingdom of God. He says the kingdom of God is like treasure. And so I want us to look at this idea of treasure this morning. And I want us to ask three questions of uh, these parables. Number one, uh, where can we find it? So where can we find the treasure? Secondly, why do we need it? <clears throat> and lastly, how do we get it? So let's look at those three questions uh, this morning from our passage. Where can we find it? Look at verse 44. So this treasure is hidden in a field, and we don't know whose field this is, and we don't know how long the treasure's been there. Jesus doesn't tell us, but the picture is that a man is evidently uh, working in a field, and he's either plowing or planting or sowing or digging, and he stumbles upon this treasure that's in the ground, and uh, that sounds really odd and random. But it's really not. It wasn't all that uncommon. Back then, fields were like banks. Uh, <clears throat> you didn't hide your treasure in your house. You didn't hide it. Um, it didn't have banks. And so you hid your treasure in order to protect it from thieves. 
you would hide it in the ground, in your field or in your yard. And it would protect it when people went away on a trip or whatever from people breaking in and stealing their treasure. And often people, you could imagine, would forget where they buried it. Or they would actually go to their grave without telling anyone where they had buried their treasure. And so it's not uncommon that these workers, someone would stumble upon a treasure in a field. And this man in this parable finds this treasure and he looks at it and it takes his breath. And so much so that he knows that in order for him to get this, he has to buy the entire field. And that's what he's going to do because he has to have this treasure. Look at verse 44b. In his joy, he goes and sells everything that he has in order to buy the field so that he can have this treasure. Let's look at the other parable. Look at verse 45 and 46. This story's a little different. Just a little different. If you noticed in the first story, the man with the treasure, he actually stumbles upon the treasure. In this parable with the pearl, there is a merchant, and he's actually searching for the treasure. He's on a treasure hunt. He's searching for pearls, fine pearls. Back then in the first century, uh, pearls were a sign of wealth. Uh, they were a sign of status. And so this pearl, a pearl merchant would go looking in a pearl market, and he would comb through all kinds of pearls and look for the best pearl. And so that's what this man's doing. He's combing through, looking for a fine pearl, and he sees one, and his jaw hits the ground, and it takes his breath away. I've got to have that pearl. I will sell all that I have and do all that I have in order to get it. And he too, like the man in the first parable, sold everything that he had and bought it. And so what's the point of these two parables? Well, it's not, and let's be clear, it's not suggesting that in the term buying a field that you can somehow earn your salvation. No, we know that's not true. When you look at the rest of Scripture, that's not the emphasis. The emphasis here is on the supreme value of the hidden treasure of Jesus and the kingdom of God, which is worth far more than any sacrifice you could make in order to get it. That's the point of the parable. These parables call our attention to our tendency to overlook or truly miss what is valuable. You ever miss what is valuable that's right in front of your eyes? A couple of years ago, back in 2017, there was an elderly man in Scottsdale, Arizona, and he was being moved to a retirement facility, a retirement home. And so he had his neighbor come over and help him really look through his house and clean out his house, particularly his garage, which was full of junk. And he needed someone to help him sort through uh, his garage. And so this neighbor comes over and starts helping him. And he finds this L.A. Lakers, Los Angeles Lakers poster of Kobe Bryant that is signed by the late Kobe Bryant. And he thinks, this probably is worth something. And so he calls an auction house, gets an appraiser to come out and to look at the poster, and the appraiser estimated the value of this poster at $300. 
And as praisers tend to do, he's looking around in the garage and, you know, this man's asking him, hey, what about this? What about that? What do you think about uh, the value of all of this combined? And as the appraiser is looking through this man's garage, he finds something that catches his eye. And it was an original painting of the famous American painter Jackson Pollock. And this elderly man who was moving to a retirement facility had acquired this back in the 1990s from his sister who passed away. And so for over 20 years, this painting has been sitting in his garage. And the appraiser said the bidding would start at $5 million. He expected the painting to bring anywhere from 10 to $15 million when it was all said and done. Far surpassing the $300 value of the Kobe Bryant poster. You see, it's easy to overlook what is really valuable, isn't it? It's easy to overlook what is valuable because the value is often hidden if you don't have eyes to see it. Think about these parables. This man's in this field, and it's not beachfront property. It's not prime real estate. It's a field that people had traveled over and around all their lives. It's an ordinary field where this man finds the treasure. Think about the parable of the pearl of fine price. Think about how many people had combed through those pearls and missed it. Yet this man had eyes to see what no one else did. You see, the parables in general and these parables, and I said this a couple of weeks ago, they teach us, and we need to always remember this, particularly in the South, the kingdom of God can be missed. Jesus can be missed. You have to have eyes to see it. And it's not easily seen on the surface. And it makes total sense if you think about the king of our kingdom. Jesus, lots of people missed him. They missed him back then. People continue to miss him today. Why? Because he's not a flashy king. He's obscure, ordinary, and common, and poor, which made him very easy to miss. People would say, no way, this can't possibly be the Messiah. And it's why Paul, the Apostle Paul, says the wisdom of God is what? Foolishness to the world. So my question for you this morning is have you seen the treasure that is sitting right in front of you? Do you see it? Or have you missed the most valuable treasure in the world? Are you bored with Jesus this morning? Some of you are bored with Jesus this morning. Maybe you've missed him. Maybe you need to take another look at the treasure. Maybe you're looking for Jesus in the wrong places. Maybe you're looking for Jesus in the flashy and exciting and the extraordinary. When many times he's found in the mundane, in ordinary places of life. Secondly, Why do you need it? Well, these two guys in in these parables, they sold everything that they had. Why did they sell everything they had? Well, because they fell in love with something. Something captivated them. 
Something captivated them that made them take stock of everything in their life. It took over their life. If you've got something that takes over your life in such a way that you're saying, I'm willing to sell everything that I have in order to get it, you're in love with something. And that's one of the purposes of this parable. One of the things that shows us is how the human heart works. The human heart is driven by what you love. Let me say it another way. Uh, Whatever you love and whatever captivates you controls your life. Jesus says things like that, doesn't he? Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Many of you know I'm, I'm a basketball fan. I grew up in Kentucky, so I love basketball, always have. I was a huge Michael Jordan fan. And one of my favorite childhood memories was my parents taking me uh, in the 80s as a young child to the old Chicago Stadium to watch Michael Jordan play. And you know recently there's been a documentary about his career uh, that's been uh, showing on ESPN. And you don't have to have watched that to know that Michael Jordan had a treasure And his treasure was winning. You could say, we could call it achievement. He was willing to win and do whatever it takes at all costs to win NBA championships or to win at anything if you you watch the documentary. It overtook his life and drove everything in his life. When he uh, came back from baseball, when he played here for the Barons, he went back to the NBA and it was right before they went into the playoffs And he was not in basketball shape. He was in baseball shape. They lost the NBA playoffs that year. And after the playoffs, he normally takes three months off before he starts conditioning uh, and getting ready for the next season. His personal trainer comes up to him and says, hey, uh, you know, give me a call in a a couple months when you're ready to start conditioning. Michael Jordan looks at him and says, I'll see you in the morning. He filmed Space Jam that year out in California. He actually had a personal basketball, full-size basketball court built on the site of this movie. He took his trainer with him. He started early in the morning with the film. He had a two-hour layoff during the day in which he worked with his trainer for those two hours. When filming was over for the day, he flew in at his own cost NBA players from all over the league and they played pickup basketball in this makeshift arena until midnight every night. If you've watched it, he actually makes up stories and things about other players to give him a competitive edge over them. You see where his treasure is? He's willing to do anything for it. Sacrifice friendships and family and time and money in order to get his treasure. He won six out of eight championships. What about you? What's your treasure? Everybody treasures something. It's how you were made. What has captivated your heart in such a way that it has overtaken everything else in your life? You see, everyone, like I said, Martin said this in the called a confession, everyone treasures something. It's how the human heart is made. Remember Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, God has put eternity 
in your heart? Everybody was made in order to give ultimate value and worth to God. The problem is we've settled for cheap substitutes. Instead of giving ultimate worth and treasuring God, because of our sin, we tend to treasure the wrong things. We don't treasure Jesus, and instead we pin our hopes to other things, earthly treasures, if you will. Earthly treasures like achievement and pleasure and work and wealth. And if those things are what you treasure, then you're willing to give up everything for. And we see this every day, don't we? We see it in our own lives as well. Just look around. If work and wealth is your treasure, you'll sacrifice sleep. You'll sacrifice family and friendship, your health, your marriage in order to get that treasure. If your treasure is the success of your children, well, you'll spend lots and lots of money on them to ensure their success. You'll sacrifice your marriage. You'll sacrifice your relationships perhaps with your other children. And you'll drag your family all over the southeast in order for them to be successful. You see, the problem is that when we treasure other things, it doesn't work. But it actually leads to dysfunction. You know this. It's like, as I've said, it's like trying to fill the Grand Canyon up with a water hose. It doesn't work. It never will fill your heart and satisfy you the way you think it will. Why? Because it won't love you back. Earthly treasures will not love you back. They will not give you what you ultimately want. Instead, they will take from you. Jeremiah 2, verse 13. My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. What are your broken cisterns this morning? that are not holding water? What are your earthly treasures that are losing water? What has your heart? You see, every earthly treasure will demand a sacrifice. And that's what's so great about Christianity. In Christianity, God doesn't demand your life in order for you to be valued and significant. Jesus is the earth, or he is the treasure that offers himself for you. He doesn't take from you. He gives himself to you because he loves you. That's how Jesus is different from earthly treasures. You see, you'll never sell everything and follow Jesus until you treasure Jesus more than everything else in your life. And the question then is, okay, how do we do that? Because you want that. I want that. How do we do it? That's the last question. How do we get it? Third point. One of the things that's clear from both of these parables, and one of the emphasis is these men sell everything in order to get the treasure. But did you notice something it's easy to miss? Look at verse 44. It wasn't something they dreaded. Did you pick up on that? Like we here give up everything and follow Jesus, and we're like, This is the thing I don't like about Christianity kind of thing. Or we begrudgingly say, well, if I have to, is that what these men do? No, look at verse 44. In his joy, 
He goes and sells everything that he has. It's not, well, okay, I guess I have to. In his joy, the motivation for selling all and following Jesus was joy. Why? Because they had finally found the thing that they had been looking for their entire life. The thing that would ultimately satisfy their hearts. The thing that would ultimately um, give them the joy that they were after. They had also found in Jesus someone who treasured them and knew them all the way to the bottom and didn't leave. And for that, they said, we're all in. We will sell absolutely everything because we get Jesus. That's often not our motivation. Our motivation for following Jesus is somewhere around fear. God's going to get us if we don't. Or duty. Or um, guilt. And those things are often poor motivators and they'll never make you sing. You see, you'll never really treasure Jesus and give him everything until you're motivated by joy. And until Jesus becomes your treasure. And when Jesus becomes your treasure, you're willing to give up everything so that you get him. And the question is, how do we get that? How do we move from our motivation in the Christian life of being duty and fear and guilt to joy in following him? Well, we must realize that Jesus' motivation for saving you was joy. It wasn't fear, my father's going to get me if I don't do this. It wasn't duty, oh, well, I guess I have to do this. I really don't want to, but the Father will be mad at me if I don't. And it wasn't guilt of the Father will be sad or perhaps disappointed if I don't do this. No, it was joy. Hebrews chapter 12, look it up this afternoon. Jesus, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross despising its shame, and he's now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Who was the joy set before Jesus? You were. You are Jesus' treasure. You are the pearl of great price that Jesus was willing to come down out of the comforts of heaven and give up everything in order to get. How deep the Father's love for us that he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. Paige Brown, her dad, Wilson Benton, was a longtime pastor in the PCA, and she also worked for RUF at Vanderbilt University on staff for many years. She tells the story about a time she was visiting her brother in Augusta, Georgia, and On that particular Sunday, there was a baptism of four boys, adopted boys from Russia. They were being baptized. And so Paige walks up to the mom and jokingly says, four boys, what were you thinking? (laughs) And the mom looks at him and says, well, it was only supposed to be three. We had all the paperwork. We flew over there. And when we got there, the five-year-old looked at his bed buddy and says, I'm not leaving without him. Workers in the orphanage were like, come on, this is what you've been waiting for. You must go. You've got a family who's going to love you and take care of you. And the boy said, I am not leaving without him. 
And so we ended up with four boys. It's a picture of the gospel. Jesus grabs you by the hand. And he looks at his father. And he says, I'm not leaving without them. I'm not leaving without your children. You see, often we think that Jesus just begrudgingly goes to the cross because he has to. No, he does it with great joy. Why? Because he would rather die than to live without you. Isn't that good news? The good news of the gospel is that long before Jesus was the pearl of great price, you were his pearl of great price that he couldn't live without. You see, when that makes its way down into your heart, joy will overflow out of you. And you will willingly, with great joy, give up everything in order to follow him because he has given up everything for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving up everything so that you could have us and be with us. Forgive us for holding out on you, for doubting your love. Would you help us this morning uh, to clearly see? Give us eyes of faith, sharpen our vision so that we can see you, that you treasure us deeply, so much that you are willing to come and die, melt our hearts with that truth so that we will treasure you and love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. In Jesus' name, amen.